Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices, Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Coy McGinnis was not only known as a wonderful musician and singer, but he was also greatly known for his excellence in the ministry of the Word. This sermon was preached at God's Bible School and College Camp Meeting in Cincinnati, Ohio in 1989, and he titles it, Our Great Inheritance. I know you're going to enjoy this wonderful sermon. Verse 8 of chapter 1 of Colossians. Who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all, pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Shall we pray? Our Father, we ask this morning thou would help us as we try to do what we can to expound the truth of God's word and to minister to these hearts that are here, we know that in greater or lesser ways, we are all needy creatures. And we just pray the Holy Spirit of God would help us. For we would not want to say a thing that would not be pleasing unto thee and acceptable, O God. Direct the rest of this service to thy glory and benefit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I just want to talk to you a little while this morning about our inheritance. Verse number 9, Paul makes reference here to the matter of the knowledge of his will, being filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And then he sets down some conditions in verse number 10 about walking worthy, pleasing, being fruitful, increasing, 
being strengthened in verse 11 now, and uh, having patience, long-suffering, and uh, joyfulness, and giving thanks unto the Father who hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. In verse number 16, now he refers to the matter of Christ being the creator of all things, and here in this particular verse, at least a partial reference to the estate. The first reference is to the will and the conditions that we have to comply with to be partakers of this inheritance. And then he talks about how all things were created by him that are in heaven and earth, visible and visible, and uh, dominions and principalities, all things were created by him and for him. And I was reading some time back, it's been quite a while back, but I was reading some time back about the vastness of the universe and even the vastness of the solar complex of which we're a part. If you were to leave right now, traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, not hour per second. At 186,000 miles per second, you could take off and uh, uh, go to the moon and uh, be back by lunch. Uh, if you wanted to go to the sun, you'd take a little longer, but uh, the sun would not have set on this particular day traveling at that speed, 186,000 miles per second. You could make it to the sun and get back for the evening meal. But if you want to go out to the center of our solar complex, then you have to go a little further. It takes a little longer. It takes 35,000 years traveling at 186,000 miles per second to get to the center of our complex. You want to really take a trip and go out to the middle of the universe? Well, that'll take you 100 million years going 186,000 miles per second to get out to the center of the universe. So when we talk about the estate, we're talking about a rather large territory. And I don't know how much we're going to get involved in all of that. I don't know what our part in that great and vast expanse of creation is all about. I don't even know what that great and vast expanse of creation is all about. But I know one thing. I know that our Heavenly Father is a great and wonderful God, and He is an authority of all of this majestic kingdom of creation by, created by His Son, Jesus. And I am just thrilled this morning to be His heir. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Let's talk about this matter of this inheritance, of this great inheritance that He has given to us, and some of the spiritual benefits. I know I can't explain the physical benefits because I'm not, uh, I'm just not well versed enough in my grasp of what's going on out there to just tell you all about it. But let's talk about the spiritual part of this inheritance for just a little while this morning. First of all, we notice the writer said that there is this matter of being delivered from the power of darkness. This word power in this particular verse <clears throat> has an expanded meaning that tells us that we can be delivered and are delivered if we're children of the heavenly king. We are delivered from the authority, from the principles, and from the spirit of this darkness. 
Some time ago, I heard Paul Harvey, and I think it was about Easter season when he gave that story about the pastor who was standing out on the corner of his lot by the sign, the bulletin that he was fixing one Saturday afternoon, and from down the alley came a little urchin of the street. He was swinging a rusty bird cage, and sitting on the floor of the cage was a sick-looking little sparrow. The preacher, seeing the little fellow with his grimy cheeks and dirty hands and rusty bird cage, got interested in what he was doing, and he said to the little fellow, Hey, son, he said, uh, wait a minute. He said, where are you going? He said, what, what do you have there? The little boy smiled up and said, hi, Reverend. He said, I catched me a bird, he said, and I put him in this cage. And he said, and I picked the cage off the dump out there. And I catched the sparrow and I put him in this cage. I see, the preacher said. Well, he said, son, what are your plans for that bird in that cage? What are you going to do with it? Oh, he said, I don't know. He said, I, I don't know about the cage, but he said, as far as the bird's concerned, said, I guess I'll just tease him and torment him for a while, and when I'm done with him, i take him home and feed him to the cat. I see, the preacher said. You're just going to torment him until you're through with him and take him home feed him to the cat. Yes, sir. Say, the preacher said, having an idea, said, what would you take for that bird and cage? He said, you want to buy him, Reverend? said, I already told you. said, I picked this cage off the dump, he said, and this ain't nothing but an old field sparrow in here. I know, the preacher said, but I want to buy him anyway. What do you take for him? Well, he said, what do you give me? And the preacher said, well, how about $3? Oh, he said, $3? You'll give me $3? Yes, I'll give you $3. Okay, he said. And he readily handed over the birdcage to the preacher. And he went on down the street translating his $3 into pop and ice cream and candy bars while the preacher put his bulletin uh, figures aside and went and got his automobile out of the garage and set the birdcage on the back seat and took him out to the edge of town and opened up that rusty cage and tapped the bottom of the cage until that little sparrow, seeing his freedom, got up on the edge of the cage and soared off through the sky and left the preacher holding an empty, rusted birdcage. But he took that birdcage back and set it right on a pedestal beside him his pulpit on Sunday morning. So when the congregation came in, they not only saw the beautiful tapestries of that uh, cathedral and its polished furniture and, uh, and the preacher in his pulpit, they saw a rusted birdcage on a pedestal and they wondered about it. When the preacher got up to speak, he said, I, I've seen you eyeing my birdcage. And he said, and I want to tell you how it happened to be here. He told them about the little urchin of the street. He told them about the drive to the edge of the town. He told them about the release of the sparrow from the cage. He said, and then I remembered an allegory that I heard one time about how Christ met the devil and said to the devil, what have you there? And the devil said, why, I've got some of your creation here. He said, I've got some of your, your subjects of your creation. And the devil said to the Lord, I have them here in this cage of sinful in capture. And Jesus said to the devil, well, what will you take for my creation that you have captured? And the devil said, I want every drop of blood out of your veins. And the allegory said, and Jesus paid that price, the preacher said. 
And he said, and I was like that bird sitting on the bottom of the cage when Jesus found me, just a worthless sparrow of his creation. But he said he took me out to the edge of his glorious provision of redemption and opened my cage and said, and let me out. <laughs> and he said, I've been soaring the skies of glorious redemption ever since and praising for his wonderful love. Well, it makes you think of that old song we used to sing that said, Once like a bird in prison I dwelled, no freedom from my sorrow I felt, but Jesus came and whispered to me, and glory to God, he set me free. If you want it in more classical tones, uh, Wesley wrote and said, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound by sin in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke my dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth to follow thee. Praise God. We sing glorious freedom. Once I was bound by sin's galling fetters, chained like a slave, I wandered in vain. But he said, Jesus brought glorious freedom to me. And he said, now I've been released from that awesome and awful circumstance of sin, delivered from the power and the authority of darkness, delivered from the principles of darkness, delivered from the spirit of darkness. Thank God there still is within the provision of the cleansing fountain a a clause that says that if a man will, will repent of his sins, uh, God will not only justify him freely, as Romans 5 says, but therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope uh, of the glory of God. And a little further down in that same chapter, it said, and we shall be saved from the wrath of God. There's a provision in there that said that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, uh, which is given unto us. Uh, so he provides justification uh, and pardon, but he also provides a glorious cleansing till we can stand in the presence of God with raised hands and sing from the bottom of our heart, uh, I have been cleansed, hallelujah. I have been made clean in the sight of God. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus uh, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Praise the Lord. Uh, and every born child of God hath a witness within himself that he has truly been redeemed. Uh, but you can also have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in that glorious provision of heart holiness till you don't have to go back to what you've been delivered from. Thank God I have never wanted to return to the cage uh, ever since I've gotten out, uh, ever since I found the open door, uh, ever since I knew what it was like to be released from those awful circumstances uh, of heartbreaking circumstances, uh, those, those times when my whole being was submerged uh, in, the, in the practice and the habits of sin. Uh, well, the songwriter said, I know the world would take me back, but I'm glad I'm off that track. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Wonderful to be able to be delivered from the principle of sin. The very principle cause, the thing that drove you into that madness in the first place. And delivered from the spirit of sin. Well, <laughs> I will have to leave that, but let's go a little bit further. The next thing that he mentions here is this matter of being translated into the kingdom of God. I like what one writer said about that. He, he said this word translated uh, meant, actually meant carried, but he said not, you know, not, not carried just in the sense that we would understand it. 
But he, he said it meant swept into the kingdom of God. <laughs> Just sort of swept into the kingdom of God. And in that particular sense, when you look at it like that, maybe your mind could go back, you could reminisce a little bit this morning, and you could think about those circumstances that prevailed before you were a, a child of God. Maybe you could remember an old-fashioned meeting. I don't know how it happened with you. But with me, it was an old-time revival. And I have to confess that I, I used to make fun of people who got happy over their religion. And I used to think that it was a terrible thing for my own father to go to church and get up to testify, and he couldn't get it out. He'd get all broken up, and he'd make the ugliest faces, and then just cry and cry and sit down. Never say a word. And then he'd cry, and they'd all cry with him. And, and I, I confess, I was in darkness. I didn't understand that so well. And my mother would get blessed, and she was a real embarrassment to me because she would start low and go high. She had a sort of a siren type uh, way of, of uh, demonstrating or getting blessed, and she'd start way down and go way up and come back down again. And then Grandma, bless her heart, She'd get right out in the aisle, I mean in the aisle, and just dance up and down the aisle and wave a little white handkerchief all the time she was doing that. <laughs> when I, you know a young man wanting to be somebody in the world wouldn't want to admit to being identified with a crowd like that, <laughs> I thought. So people ask me where I went to church, I'd tell them I was a Presbyterian. Now, I never went <laughs> in my life. <laughs> but... <laughs> But an old-fashioned preacher came down our way by the name of Paul Lucas. He preached a revival meeting, and I remember how much rebellion was in my heart when my mother said to me, you are going to the revival. And I tried to think of every way in the world to get out of it. But I'll tell you something. Even though I was a young man, I was still under my father's roof, and I consequently was under his government. And while my father was certainly the head of the house, my mother was the neck that turned the head, and so they were in cooperation, and, and there was no point in making any appeal to either side of that government. For if one side of the government declared a decree, the other side would support the decree with all purpose. So she said, you're going to the revival, and there was no need going and telling Dad how I didn't want to or couldn't and didn't need to. I knew I was going to the revival. Well, I went in that night. The message was preached, and I fell under old-fashioned conviction. <laughs> I tried to get just as far back in there as I could. There were posts, and there still are. Old Pilgrim Holders Church, 310 3rd Street in Portsmouth. Square post down the aisle, and I got behind the post, so the preacher couldn't see me. But the Holy Spirit looks right through posts and everything else when you... And he found me behind the post. There was no, no problem that the Holy Spirit found me behind the post. And I fell into the altar that night and prayed through, and God saved me from all of my sins. I cried like Dad and screamed like Mom and danced like Grandma. But I never had any desire to be a Presbyterian after that. <laughs> I found my crowd that night. <laughs> 
I was in, clear in, all the way in without any reservation, and thank God I'm still in this morning, and I have no desire in my heart. It was a glorious occasion when I found the kingdom of God. I'm not looking for anything else. It satisfies, praise the Lord, carried into the kingdom of God. But there's another notation here, and it is, it is turned. There's the turned aspect in here. And here we have this matter of the influence, not only of conviction, but the influence that can be brought to bear upon those that we know who haven't made that decision yet. Could I encourage you this morning not to give up on what some folks might call the hopeless cases? Not to give up on what some folks might think is a situation that has developed where we have lost some of our evangelistic thrust. Friends, there are no hopeless situations with God. That's, that's the human element. That's the human speaking. That's the carnal raising its ugly head to talk about hopelessness and hopelessness and hopelessness. There, there just no such thing exists with God. He'll save all who come to him by Christ Jesus. There's still a lot out there that need to be brought into the kingdom of God, and that's our responsibility not to lose hope. It's our responsibility to keep our evangelistic thrust alive. It's our responsibility to wait before God in prayer and pray for them until they are brought into the kingdom of God. They can be. They thought I was a hopeless case. I'd gotten so mean that that some of the other parents in the community wouldn't let their children associate with me. They thought I'd gone pretty far down. But I was lifted, praise God. <laughs> I was lifted. As the songwriter said, I was sinking deep in sin, going down for the third time. But with tender hands he lifted me. From shades of night to plains of light, oh, praise his name, he lifted me. I wonder if we're willing to pay the price that we ought to pay to create for those who need the atmosphere, the kind of circumstances that will bring them to God. I remember hearing someone tell about somewhere down in the state of Virginia of a little lady who made her living on the washboard. Now, this was way back before the days of the washing machine, or maybe they were available, but she couldn't afford one. She made her living on the washboard. And she had two sons, but they had left her many years back. And she hadn't heard anything from them for several years, didn't know where they were, but she prayed for them every day. A missionary came to that little town where the little washerwoman went to church. He didn't have the slightest design of mind that there were within there was within this congregation the answer to his prayer, but he thought though they couldn't do what needed to be done, they could at least pray that somebody else would do what needed to be done. And so he said, folks, pray for me. God has called me and sent me to the state of Colorado to start a church. And he said, I don't have the money. I need $500 to go to Colorado and start this church. You folks might not have $500, but pray that God will send the money in for me to go to Colorado and, send, and, and start this church. Well, 
Here came in the mail to that little washerwoman a letter one day. And that letter said to her, Ma'am, we'd like to inform you that as a result of the death of one of your relatives that you have been left a, an estate. And if you will please come to the lawyer's office with proper identification, we'd like to turn this estate over to you. So she went trembling down to the lawyer's office to find out what this was all about. And when she got there, the lawyer said, Yes, ma'am, in fact, you have inherited this estate. It's nothing but just money. But said, Here is a check for $500. She ran down to the banker, who was her business consultant. She said to him, Look, I've inherited $500. Now, in those days, that was a considerable small fortune. I've inherited $500. What will I do with it? Oh, he said, it's very simple. You just put it out here uh, in the bank on interest. He said, we'll pay you 2% interest. And he said, uh, and you can draw a check every month. That's 83 cents a month in case you're wondering. You can get your check every month for 83 cents. Oh, she said, that's, that's great. She said, and every month I'll get 83. Every month you get 83 cents. Oh, my, she's just delighted. She couldn't help but tell some of her friends. But she went back to the service that night and that missionary made that appeal again and a light came on in her heart and mind and she said, why, no, why, God gave me that $500. Said he wants me to give it to this missionary to start a church in Colorado. So she went up to him, that, or started to go up to him and then she thought, second thoughts came. The devil got in and said, no, no, don't do that. That's a foolish thing to do. And so she went home to reason on it that night and went back the next morning to consult with her banker. And she said to him, listen, she said, I, I sort of feel like I know why I got this money. She told him the whole story. Oh, the banker said, ma'am, please now, don't be foolish like that. Said, that's a wrong impulse. I'm a man of faith myself and attend the church. He said, I wouldn't do that. Said, I don't think that's of God. Said, give him your interest check this month. I'll give it to you in advance. Here's your 83 cents. Give him that. So she took 83 cents down, gave it to the missionary and said, here, the Lord told me to give you this on that church in Colorado. But she slept not one wink that night. She rolled to bed all night long and early in the hours of the morning, she got up with purpose in her heart. As soon as the bank was open, she was the first customer. She said to the banker, listen, I have come for my money. Now he said, what foolish designs have you on that $500? She said, no foolish design and the same one I had yesterday. I'm going to give it to that missionary. No, he said, don't do that. She said, sir, I want to ask you a question. Whose money is this? Oh, he said, it's yours. She said, well, then give it to me. So he went and got it and gave it to her. And she took it and gave it to that missionary. <laughs> And he left and went to Colorado and opened up a mission. It was Sunday morning. They were having their first service. And down the street came two old miners, linked arm in arm, brothers, looking for a good time in town. Walked past that brand new mission, never been there before. And one of them said, his brother said, listen, do you hear what I hear? Yes, he said, that's, that's church music. He said, it is for a fact. And it's one of the same songs they used to sing when we were boys back home in the old church. Let's go in. No, now he said, let's not. That's not what we come to town for, not to go to church. You know what we, we've made up our mind after being 30 days out there in the mines. He said, just working our heads off. We've got some money. We didn't come to town to go to. 
he said, I am going in and you're going with me. And he got his brother and took him in and sat him down on the back seat. And they listened all through that service. And when they come to the close and stood and sang a song, those old boys began to swallow hard and try to blink back tears. They were refreshing memories in their heart. Could you just sing another verse? Yes, he said, they'd be glad to sing another verse. And then he went back and said, but what about you gentlemen? Wouldn't you like to come and give your heart to the Lord? And they did. <laughs> and they rose up from the altar and one said to the other, isn't this something? Our mother's favorite song. And here we're at the altar and we've just been converted. And the preacher said, and gentlemen, I think since you're the first converts in this new mission, you ought to write the little lady back in Virginia that gave me the $500 to start this church. Said She made a real sacrifice. She, she made a, a real sacrifice to help me get this started. Said, here, I'll give you her name and address. Said, please write her a letter and thank her. And those boys looked down at that letter, and the one said to the other, he said, brother, there can't be two ladies in that little town in Virginia with the same name as our mother. He said, we need to go home. And so the count said they got on the train and they went back to Virginia, got off the train, went down the street, found that little picket fence and went through the gate, down the side of the house, and there she was on the back porch, back to the old business of washboard and soap suds. She didn't have 83 cents coming in every month now. She'd given it all the way to the missionary, plus she was in debt 83 cents for the advance that she had got. But she was a singing and a praising the Lord and a washing on the board. And they leaped up on the back porch and put their mother's washboard away uh, and she wiped the soap suds off of her arms and look, they looked her in the face and said, Mother, we want to know, did you send $500 to Colorado to start a church? Oh, she said, I did, boys. And I know it was all the money I, we had to ever have. And I've given away her inheritance. But she said, I'm not one bit sorry either. Why, they said, Mother, you better not be sorry. He said, we prayed through in that church just a few days ago, and God saved. And they went up and down the street with their mother on their arm, uh, praying her around and introducing themselves as her returned sons with enough to take care of their mother from here on out. She wouldn't wash on the board anymore. Why, she wound up with more than she had before. Her sons had more than $500. But now they had the grace of God in their heart, and now they were home with their mother. Why, I tell you, that just makes something kind of work inside of me. I, my wells are starting to move just a little bit. <laughs> What are you saying, preacher? I'm simply saying that God still has the power to transform lives. He still has the power to bring sinners into his glorious kingdom. The trouble we have in these last days, God can't find, he can't, the heavenly father can't find enough folks with any real sales ability when it comes to presenting this situation. You know one of our problems? It's kind of like the two old fellows that wandered into that mission, <coughs> just old hobos, I guess, and they had prayer meeting, and one after the other, they got up and told how the devil had fought them all week. <coughs> one said, I tell you, the arthritis in my right knee has almost driven me out of my mind. 
and I must take a bottle of aspirins, but I don't have any relief, and I'm in such awful pain, I can't enjoy the service and sit down. And another one got up and told their hospital experience, counted every stitch, became so vivid it was almost embarrassing, and sat down. And another one got up and told about how the neighbors mistreated them. And another one got up and told how the devil had fought them all week and they just, just almost didn't come but finally thought at the last minute they ought to at least make the effort and they did. And the prayer meeting was over and the preacher saw a couple of what he looked like prospects to him and he went back to his prospects and said to them, are you gentlemen say, no, sir. <clears throat> said, have you ever considered it? Not really. Said, wouldn't you like to come? Well, they said, we have a question, Reverend. All right, what is it? If we come up there, said, will we get the same religion that everybody else around here has? Yes, sir, he said. God's no respect to person. He'll give you the same thing. Well, they said, if you don't mind, no thanks. We got enough trouble with the devil already. We don't need any more. Lord, help us. <laughs> but there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners still plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stain. There is a high and a glorious experience of divine grace that transforms men. And Paul again said, be not conformed to this world, but be it transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he said, then you can prove this acceptable will of God. Are you in the family? Then you're an heir, an heir of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And just like the much used and often repeated story of the old ditch digger, when the rich lady came by, saw him down in the ditch, covered with mud, throwing up one big shovel full of earth after another. But he was singing. He was singing, my father is rich in houses and land and holdeth the wealth of the world in his hands of rubies and diamonds and silver and gold. His coffers are full. He has riches untold, and I'm a child of the king. <laughs> she, she stopped the car and rolled down the window and said, what did you say? He smiled and said, I'm a child of the king. She said, well, what are you doing down in that ditch? Shoveling mud. If you're a child of the king. So he sang her another verse. He sang her the verse that said, Well, my father's own son, the savior of men, once dwelt on the earth as the poorest of them, but now he's reigning in heaven on high, and he'll give me a home in the sweet by and by. <laughs> well, I won't wear you out with that one. It's been told too much. But she drove off and said to her chauffeur, James, how can anybody in this world have so little and claim so much? And as she drove off, he leaned on his shovel and said to himself, nobody else to talk to, said, how in the world can anybody have so, lot, so much and claim so little? Have you checked up on your inheritance lately? <laughs> Wouldn't hurt to read the terms of the will. Make sure that you comply with its requirements. 
But then if you find out perchance after reading the requirements and surveying the will and considering the estate that Christ is in fact your elder brother and God's your father and that all of that great expanse of creation out there is yours to have and behold one of these days, well, after you've done all of that, could you just smile a little about it? It's a little hard, you know, for some folks to pick up on the message when with both sides of her mouth drawn down until it looks like there's an anchor hanging on each side. We get up and say, well, I love the Lord with all my heart. You pray for me, I'll hold out to the end. Won't. Try to sell that. Nobody wants it. There's no market for it. Someone said, if you're happy, notify your faith. <laughs> Somebody said I was crazy as a bed bug. Well, thank the Lord, I don't know much about bed bugs, but I know one thing. It's good to have old-time religion, have all your sins under the blood, and be a joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and have your name written down in heaven. And to know that this old world that is no friend of grace is no permanent residence of ours. We are citizens of the new Jerusalem and just residents of this world. Because this one has been ruined and spoiled by sin. But somewhere out there, God has a glorious place where the streets glimmer as gold and they are gold. And there's a glorious place where there's never, my friends, the, the devil has never trifled with that glorious environment and I'm a pulling in that direction <laughs> and expecting to make it one of these days because I'm a child of God I'm joint heirs with Jesus I have a glorious inheritance praise the Lord what you see up here may not look like a king's son but I promise you I am because my name is written down in heaven. Shall we stand together, if you will, please? I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. As it has been.